Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to the show. I'm Jacob Caudill, the undergraduate scholar for the Gordon Institute, and I'm here with my economics professor, Dr. Russ McCullough, and my philosophy professor, Dr. Justin Clark. Oh, what a great intro. That was his virgin launch into the introduction of our show. Jacob, you did a good job. A few stumbles, but I'm sure you'll get, you'll get better over time. So... Uh, yeah, today we're just sitting out on my patio enjoying a nice Kansas fall day. It's probably in the high 50s here, a little crisp and clean, so we thought we'd try an outdoor episode. So that's what we're doing today. So Justin gave a talk last spring about eating tasty animals and the morality of that. So I thought it'd be fun to do a podcast. Um, he really brought up some thought-provoking things on, you know, is it immoral to eat animals, depending on if we think animals have feelings and babies and people, and they have some of that, but maybe not other things. And so different strokes for different folks on, on whether they put that on their plate at night. Uh, but specifically looking at the morality, I think Justin's got some interesting angles as our resident philosopher to go. So Justin, uh, take it away. Okay, so my talk was called The Morality of Eating Animals. Think. Yeah, I think that's right. Morality, yeah. yeah. Morality of eating animals. Yeah, so since I didn't want to give the conclusion away, I didn't throw tasty in there yet. <laughs> oh, I guess I forgot that that relates to the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, so the way my talk is structured and kind of the way the paper that I'm writing about the subject works is first I want to take up Peter Singer's argument that eating animals is in most cases, severely immoral and something that we ought not to do. And that was from way back in the 70s, was it, or something? Yeah, so his book, which is called Animal Liberation, it kind of was the basis for the animal rights movement. Yeah, did vegetarians kind of exist prior to that? I mean, I'm asking, honestly asking, I mean, I'm sure some people maybe, there's always been people, like my friend Natalie, just didn't like the texture of meat. So she she just avoided meat because she didn't like it. It wasn't necessarily a, a moral thing for her. So I'm yeah. sure those people have always existed that are mostly vegetarian, but not necessarily on moral grounds. But And similarly, people who didn't eat meat on religious grounds. Sure. But not on a purely, like a purely secular morality. Yeah, so grounds. Levi's not here today, but the old Catholics during uh, Lent uh, might be avoiding meat, especially on Fridays, so... Oh, that's right. You're a yep. Catholic boy too. Yeah. yeah, you went to Catholic high school, uh-huh. so I went to Catholic. Okay, high school. so you yeah. got you okay. got big you got big shoes to fill here, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, you you'll be the Catholic representative. Uh, All right. Here, so okay. Yeah, so it really did kind of launch the animal rights movement, and while vegetarians existed, arguably vegans didn't, and the word vegan right. really didn't. Yeah, and that innovation that came later, right? Vegan was probably. 80s or 90s? Or, yeah. I would guess. I but, mean, you know, when, when Singer I, wrote this, this book, vegetarianism was a word, but veganism wasn't. So okay. even if you go back, when he talks about vegetarianism, he's usually talking about veganism. Okay. Um, so um, the book itself starts by 
showing you some really horrific practices involved with animal testing. So it's uh, also about animal experimentation. It's a little bit on the animal abuse angle. Yeah, and on uh, what it is that we do to animals and how we treat them in the lab. And his conclusion in that section is we just treat these animals like tools for research. That's actually the name of the chapter, tools for research. Okay. And um, their capacity to suffer doesn't enter into any equation on what we ought to do with them. Uh -huh. So he has these horrific examples of slowly heating beagles to death uh, just to see, see what at they what do. point beagles right. die when you heat them or feeding them TNT wow. or using rhesus monkeys. And you know, these are famous experiments where you deprive them from their mother and you attach them to this, you give them a robot mother who shoots spikes out of her body, you know, to repel these baby monkeys off. And so that stuff actually happened? Not only did it happen, it happened multiple times and over okay. and over. Wow. And so his conclusion at the end of that chapter is we, we ought not to experiment on animals unless we would be willing to run similar experiments on a mentally disabled human child. Oh, so you even put in mentally disabled that mm -hmm. just because like somebody, right. I get it. Somebody okay. who has the mental capacities right. of a rhesus. Right. 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 Okay. Um, okay. But you might not agree with that conclusion and actually don't, but I think the force of that chapter is that look, these animals suffer and when we are deciding whether or not to do these experiments, we need to take their suffering into account. Uh, it can't just count for nothing. Yeah. And so then... And I think most people would agree with that, right? Most yeah. People. Not uh, everybody, of course. They, they just think, whatever, animals are disposable. But I think the general line of thinking is that, yeah, we, we agree with that. Yeah, he took a kind of sunlight approach where he's just saying like, look, I'll show you what goes on. Aren't yeah. you horrified? Not, you already know what goes on. You should be horrified, right? Right, uh, right. right. He's, he's, his strategy is to show you these things and assume you'll be horrified mm -hmm. by them. And of course, most of us are. I was a little horrified by Faces of Death. Did you ever see that old show? So from the... <laughs> 80s or gosh i don't know when that was i, I think it was the 80s because i probably was in high school or something and um they showed kosher meat and the processing of kosher meat and so faces of death was just different ways people either people or animals have been put to death it's called faces of death and it was it was kind of horrifying yeah i mean they, they'd slit the throats of the cows hanging them upside down and and it was, uh, it was somewhat brutal, yeah, somewhat scarring. But yeah. I'm still here, so I, I survived. I'm a survivor. <laughs> well, faces of death. As an aside, my best friend in high school was a rancher. Okay. And I went to a different high school than my junior high, so it was a new friend. And he invited me to a branding. Oh. Um, and I, <laughs> he told me that it, you know they do a branding and then it's a party. And I had assumed that one animal gets branded and then it's a party, like a kind of bar mitzvah for the animals <laughs> and i showed up and that's not what happens in a branding and since i had no skills with like a lasso or anything like that yeah. my job was to hold the bucket and run back and forth when they lopped off the testicles and threw them into a bucket oh so, my gosh okay so this was to make them steers and uh yeah uh, wow it was much it was i had, <laughs> 
my day was what very different than experience. the day I was expecting. Yeah, I yeah. bet, I bet. <laughs> so, uh, back into eating, to the eating animals part. Okay. So after Singer has kind of horrified us with what scientists are doing to animals, and especially animals that are a lot like us, you know, rhesus monk, they're, you know, right. they're looking for mm-hmm. their mothers. Then he turns to uh, factory farming. And so he's mostly concerned with pigs and chickens here. And he says, let's look at what goes on in an average factory farm. And he talks about the living conditions of pigs and chickens. And especially when this was written, chicken farming on an industrial scale is, was at least crazy. You have these huge warehouses filled with animals. Mm -hmm. And if you let them be, they pile up on each other. This is called death by piling. They since there's so many animals that can't establish a pecking order, which chickens have. Chickens can be awful. Yeah. So if chickens are, if there's, you know, five or 10 of them in a yard, they establish a pecking order and then they don't fight because they know who's ahead of who. Mm -hmm. When they're in a warehouse full of 50,000 chickens, they can't establish a pecking order. So they fight all the time. And so this led to people de-beaking chickens and the way you do right. that is with a hot blade that just cuts the cuts beak the off beak the chicken right off. Oh, and so you have these animals that have had their faces cut off they live a very short life and then and that life is crammed with other chickens you know it's not yeah. a very good life and then yeah. they're killed mm-hmm. he goes through this all these cases of raising pigs commercially and it's similarly disastrous you know you have to wonder or you have to worry about whether you want a slat floor which will allow the dung to go through or a concrete floor which uh, and the slat floors they break their ankles and um, the concrete floors they have to root around in their own always dung. trade off so you know and nobody's you know putting casts on the pigs right yeah. we're not doing right. surgery on them so One you, they just awful thing for another yeah and so these animals, Singer says, leaves, and not just says, but in most cases shows, lead really horrible lives. And then they're killed. And yeah. then we eat them. Right. And Singer's contention is, we don't have to eat that way. We can get calories from any number of different sources. Eating animals is one way. Eating vegetables is another way eating only fish is another way. There's all these different kind of lifestyles we could choose. Let's just call it uh, omnivorism. Yet it will eat meat and vegetables. That involves a lot of suffering. And it's a lot of suffering that's needless because Mm -hmm. we could eat in a way that uh, involves a lot less suffering. Right. The animals could be harvested in a way that was more humane, I guess. If they're free range no, animals. not yet. Oh, not yet. Yeah. I'm jumping the gun. Yes. Okay. okay, okay. Singer thinks we shouldn't be eating animals at all. Period. Yes. Okay. So, oh, because the actual killing of them is the immoral thing. Well, in his view, they're in, uh, we are bringing beings into existence who would be better off had they not been brought into existence, according to Singer. Right. Okay. They suffer. The amount of suffering in their lives compared to the amount of enjoyment is. Mm. Uh, so there's a ratio of enjoyment to suffering. Well, Singer's a utilitarian, okay. and utilitarians believe that you ought to do the thing which maximizes the amount of happiness or pleasure, mm-hmm. utility, or however they want to cash it in the universe uh, or in the world or whatever. But 
one of the things about utilitarianism is it's really demanding. It says that you have to do that the best thing, mm -hmm. right? The greatest good for the greatest number. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. And Jeremy Bentham. Yeah. Bentham. And Singer says, "Look, if we run the numbers, eating meat's horrific. Mm -hmm. Look at the amount of suffering that we're putting these animals through. Why?" And Singer says, "Really, the reason is we like the taste of it, but that's really <laughs> not a great reason." Um, <laughs> But it is a benefit, nonetheless. It is. Yeah. Just like uh, Singer would be insistent that we take the suffering of animals into account in experimentation, he's a good utilitarian and he's consistent. He okay. would say that we need to take the benefit that we accrue as cheeseburger eaters. Okay, okay. Um, so he is kind of doing a marginal cost, marginal benefit type absolutely. of analysis. Yeah. Um, and it's marginal utility analysis so, of each group. Yeah. But he's he is sounds like equating the utility of an animal to the utility of a human. Am I hearing that right? He is. A he living thinks creature to that living creature. suffering is the thing that matters. We know that suffering is bad. We just know that a priori, which means without doing experiments, mm -hmm. suffering by its nature is bad. Okay. And Singer thinks that in the past, uh, we have uh, certain groups have privileged suffering of uh, Europeans or something over the suffering of other people. That's okay. racism. And okay. Singer thinks it's speciesism to say that human suffering matters more than animal oh, suffering. Oh, that's a new ism for me. Speciesism. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that one yeah. again, but uh, okay, a new ism. Yeah, that we can be all fearful of and that it might uh, come to, to roost. Okay. But, well, th th this looks like a good spot to take our first half. Unless you got one more comment that related to that, but otherwise... Yeah, I'm one last comment. Okay. All right. If that last part makes you go, no, he's crazy. You actually don't have to go that far to see some force to his argument. Okay. Singer's, the force of his argument isn't that we have to say pig suffering is the same as human suffering. Okay. As long as you acknowledge that we have to take into account animal suffering, okay. it should make you somewhat weary about the kind of conditions he's And as an economist, I can understand that. Now, but what is that weight, right? Is it is it 0.1? Is it 0.01? Is it 0.5? Right. Well, what is the weight of the pig versus the... I just see a parameter there on top of the variable of suffering. So, like point something of animal suffering equals human suffering. Well, Singer's very clear, right? It's one to one. Oh, he's one to one. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's one to one. No, okay. but I was saying, but you're saying, uh, even if you don't think it's one to one, he's okay with it. Okay. Even he, if, you, as long as you acknowledge that it should count. Yeah. Something about his argument should move. I got you. I got yeah. you. That'll move us. So, so that'll bring us into the second half where we can learn of Justin's pushing back on Singer's argument to see if it holds water or not. So we'll see you in 30 seconds. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, 
please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysex.org. Don't forget to check out our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysex.org. Welcome back. So we left you on the edge of your seats where <laughs> Dr. Clark here is going to uh, bring us home on, I have this picture of doom and gloom and I'm feeling pretty guilty myself right now about the ribeye steak I had last night, but uh, hopefully he's going to resurrect whether that's the case, whether uh, my uh, fears and doom and gloom and my guilt, I just have this heaviness on my shoulders on whether that is uh, something that I should be worried about or not. So, Justin, continue on. All right, well, maybe if I can lift some of that guilt, uh, you can replace it with some other guilt. <laughs> I probably can, yeah. yeah. All right. So, Singer's argument works by, uh, one of the, the moral premise in the argument is that you need to do the thing that, you are obligated to do the thing that causes the least amount of suffering in the world. And then he, it's an empirical premise, though, that vegetarianism causes the least amount of suffering. That is, you have to actually look out in the world and see uh, what the effects are of each diet before you can figure out which diet causes the least amount of suffering. So empirical premise, you mean just like looking at the information on what, what's actually happening, happening in the world and collecting data on it and measuring it? Yes, okay. exactly. And... Uh, I want to press back on both of those premises, but in a, I think I'll, I'll deal with the second premise first. That is this idea that vegetarianism causes less suffering than any other than meeting, mode or other modes. Okay. So uh, it turns out, and there's been uh, a couple studies, we can link them in the show notes if, if anyone's interested, yep. but uh, they look at the, the actual practice of industrial farming of grain. Now, even though we don't kill any animals intentionally in, for the purpose of eating them when we grow grain, we actually do kill a lot of animals. And there's a few reasons, there's a few ways we do this. We do this with, with rodents and animals that die. But who cares about a mouse? That's your speciesism coming back. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I've got that problem of speciesism. Now remember, speciesism, (laughs) no. (laughs) You know, okay, so I'm not as sympathetic to mice as I am pigs or cows. Okay, I get it. It's actually different for you to raise that objection than it is for Singer. Because if you raise that objection, it's actually consistent because you were eating meat beforehand, right? True. Yeah. So this is an objection that works only for somebody like Singer who says, because speciesism is wrong, we shouldn't eat meat. Right. 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 Uh, That's the premise. 
my claim <laughs> is that if speciesism is wrong, Singer's argument is wrong. Okay, that's cool. So um, you're debunking it even tougher. Internally. Yes. Yeah. So it turns out, and again, this is empirical, so you have to actually go do the math, and I didn't do it, but somebody else did, and it's reported, and is that because we have to kill so many rodents when we harvest grain and so many animals die, those are deaths that need to go into the accounting as well. Now, factory farming of chickens is, I think everyone agrees, can be very horrific, but there are better and less uh, ways of raising meat that involves less suffering than, for instance, the factory farming of chicken, in particular things like free range beef. Right, which now, is all the rage, even up in Lawrence where I, you can go buy free range meat yeah. at the, in the coolers with the... So free-range beef is particularly uh, great on the suffering-to-calorie scale because it's one animal, mm -hmm. and you get so much uh, protein from it. Mm -hmm. So pigs, you get a little bit less protein, and chickens, you know, for one life, you don't get a lot of protein. If cows are raised free-range then they have a pretty decent life. They have a life that seems like it's worth living. Seems like it, yeah. If they're just out kind of roaming around, chewing cud, looking, yeah. looking at the scenery. and At the restaurant I used to work at, they, you know, they used to take our cooks to go visit where they raised the lambs because it was their free-range lambs uh -huh. that were raised. And okay. you know, our, our owner would even tell people at the table, you know, these lambs, they live a great life right up <laughs> until that last day. You know? <laughs> Last day, maybe. Yeah. Although we make it quick and harmless, they don't even know what hit them, probably. And so. Yeah, and if it's instantaneous. But if you can do that, then you know Singer's argument. One of Singer's arguments is that these animals lead lead lives that aren't worth living. Now that's not the case for a free range raised animal. The last day sucks, right? Um, yeah. I feel like there's some, isn't it Descartes or somebody that don't you have to reflect back on your life to say whether it's worth living or not? And I'm not sure the animals have that capacity, but. Well, the problem with that is that it would also apply to babies. Okay. Right. I get we you. think it's wrong to do yeah. bad things to babies, even sure. though they don't have the cognitive capacity to reflect. All right, mm -hmm. all right, all right. I love having the philosopher on push back on my coldness every once in a while, <laughs> yeah. so. Okay. Put down that baby, Russ. Yes, I yeah. just held the baby yesterday. It was awesome. It was a less than a month old baby that at the Ripples thing that I volunteer at here in town. So got to got to hold Miranda's baby. So anyway, nice. yeah, I like babies. So if you actually run the math, eating just a uh, vegetable and in particular industrial grain-based diet involves more deaths per calorie than eating a diet where you don't eat factory farmed meat, but you eat free range farmed meat. Wow, okay, so that's the big boom right there. That's the drop the mic moment where- One of them. Yeah, yeah. one of so, them, okay, one of them. Got the it. problem this poses for Singer's argument is that his whole claim as a utilitarian is that you have to do the thing which results in the least amount of suffering. So you should eat meat. So if he's right we'll about Eat free that, range meat. If he's right about that, then you have to be a kind of like enlightened yeah. uh, 
enlightened meat eater. Carnivore, or, yeah. you know, or, uh, omnivore. Omnivore, or yeah. An enlightened Carnivore. omnivore. Yeah. Or omnivore, I guess, yeah. Omnivore, yeah. So we're eating everything, yeah. Okay, yeah. But there's a there's an additional argument to be made All here, right. which is, look, I could be wrong about the way this guy did the math. Okay. We, so you see this in things like, you know, when John Lott argues that more guns equal less crime, and then somebody comes back and that, you know, they run the statistics a different way, and, they mm-hmm. should, you know, this, it just goes back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. But what I want to claim isn't that everybody should be a enlightened omnivore. I think it's actually morally permissible for you to be a vegan even though it's not the actual best thing for you to do. Okay. And here, of course, I'm, I'm not a utilitarian. So, right, um, right. So this is me disagreeing with Singer's ethical principle, okay. that you have to do the thing that is overall best for you to do. Right. I think uh, that maybe think your actions get worse the lower down you go in best thing to do to worst thing to do. But that seems pretty intuitive, too. The worse your thing is that you do, the worse your action is. Okay. Um, but I want to do away with Singer's idea that we are obligated to always do that option, which is the absolute best thing for us to do. Okay. And Singer should be happy that I'm willing to say that, too, because given what we know, it appears like benevolent omnivorism is the best thing that you can do. Right. So I don't want to force Singer to eat meat. I'm not that mean. Right? <laughs> you have a better way. Yeah. So if that's... He the- might really like a steak. That's, what that, uh, that's what's kind of funny because, like, uh, you know, he came up with this moral thing and then all of a sudden, oh, wow, I'm killing more mice than I was cows. And, like, I could actually chew into that ribeye. It's so good <laughs> and juicy. And I'm actually, in a sense, saving a hundred mice or whatever. There's probably some ratio, I suppose, of mice to cows that I can eat a cow and save mice. That's freaking brilliant, yeah. right? I mean, that's essentially what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the so, kicker. So it's moral. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. But the kicker is that if you've agreed with what I've said up to now, and if you are a vegan and you think, oh, okay, given that in this world, the way things actually are, I guess I'm going to have to change my moral claim, given that my empirical claim was wrong, that veganism is the, involves the least amount of suffering. Right. Let's say it involves, it's the so that third to not best be diet or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I've had to adjust my moral claim. And my moral claim was you have to do the thing that is the best for you to do. So someone can still be a vegan as long as they adjust that moral claim and say, look, you don't have to do the best thing that's available to you, but don't do the worst thing. You know, just try to do somewhere around, you know, try to do good things. Mm. Right? Okay. And here's the kicker. So it sounds like avoid the worst outcome or avoid the worst type of thing. Nobody strat- can do the like best strategy? thing all the time. So do good things when you can. Okay. And do the best thing that you can doesn't work because you can't do it all the time so try to do good but if that's the case that you're not required to do the absolute best thing to do 
Yeah, God bless America. And Singer's original argument won't go through. And even if it turns out that I'm wrong about the math, oh, and that veganism is does involve the least amount of suffering, you'd still be morally permitted to eat meat because uh, benevolent omnivorism is still near the top. Okay, you're giving me a little intellectual whiplash there, but uh, okay, so that's your boomerang. That's your that's your catch. All right, Jacob, young Jacob, what do you think about that? So <laughs> what you're basically saying is if you want to eat meat, you can. If you find like an equal medium where you're doing enough good things to equal out like the bad, you can kind of find somewhere where you're eating. Like Very good Catholic argument the right there. Stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that it's eating meat is something that's bad that you have to balance right. out by, you know, I, uh-huh. I donated or whatever. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to go to confession about <laughs> meat, provided that when you can, you mm. eat meat that is ethically raised. Okay. Uh, yeah. Does so that make sense? Stay away from pigs breaking their ankles and go to the free-range pigs that are living the happy life. Try to eat, yeah, Mm. meat that's raised better. And, I mean, look, cards on the table. I love eating meat, but Mm. uh, meat that's raised more ethically actually tastes better. Um, Yeah, that's the argument. I I don't know. My buddy Chad Stina, he raised some grass-fed beef and packaged it up. I bought like a half a cow one time and it was a little too gamey for me. Grass-fed beef is gamey. Yeah, it, it can have that gamey taste and I wasn't all for that, which means I've, I've probably been corrupted by, you know, the corporate beef producers that I, you know, I maybe my taste buds like that more, but... Uh, well, but cow can be free-range and still be it can. grain-fed, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. just... and I think it's just uh, a lot of it... Uh, fat content and other things so all right well i think that uh that's a wrap here today i think we've once again figured out all the mysteries of morality and meat (laughs) (laughs) and doesn't this podcast just do that every once in a while so i would like to thank you all for listening and appreciate that Um, If you are a regular subscriber, great. And if you're not, please do. That helps us rise in the ranks if you like what you're listening to. And uh, we also have a a Gortney Institute webpage through Ottawa University. So if you can feel free to visit that. And there's a donate button there if you like what you're listening to and want to continue to support us. So other than that, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. Fire up the grills. (laughs) Fire up the grill. Bye. Thank you.